Hello, hello. I took your intro again. <laughs> I'm Savannah. And I'm Alicia. And this is Burden of Proof. I didn't mean to steal your intro. It's fine. My brain just, it's the first thing that came out of my mouth. Cool. Did you like I, my dance? I did. <laughs> Lovely. I was doing the whip like it's 2014. <laughs> <laughs> well. Welcome, everyone. Welcome to Burden of Proof. We have a little bit of business to take care of up front today. Let's jump right into that. Sorry to the people who don't like when we have business on front, but this is exciting. You're going to like this one. So just I hope you like this business. I think that they will. I think I they hope will. So. so we are very, very excited to announce. Drum roll, please. Da, 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 da. I'm terrible at drum I'm rolls. not doing it either. <laughs> In your head, there's a drum roll. Okay. Um, February 1st, we will be launching our Patreon page. Patreon. Patreon page. So, Alicia, tell our community about what is included if they choose to support us let me get my notes here okay so the first thing if you decide to join us over at patreon is a once a month live stream woohoo we've had a lot of interest in the live streams folks yes you want this unfiltered (laughs) uncensored uncut um that's my radio voice (laughs) I have mixed feelings about it. I hope you're all I hope you're all good with it cuz I do a lot of editing. <laughs> <laughs> right. So, um yeah, cuz I have ADHD brain. So, I tend to edit myself yeah. heavily. I'm sure someone has caught on to that where I've missed it. Yeah. You know, you start to talk and then your brain's like, "Wait, there's a better way to say that." And right. then you like mid-sentence shift gears. Yeah, we cut that out. I cut out as yeah. much as I possibly can. Obviously, I can't do that on the live stream, so I, I get, hope you're all prepared. You get the real us. Yeah. Let's see. The second thing, we are going to have an exclusive Patreon Facebook group. Right. We do have a Facebook group currently, but it is public, and this one will just have special things. Yeah. Special polls. Special interactions. You can also do polls on Patreon. We're going to have you yeah. guys be able to vote for cases that you want us to cover. That's going to be so cool. You guys are going to get to pick a case yeah. pretty frequently. You'll have first dibs. You'll have first dibs. Yep. And we also hope to share with you on Patreon exclusive behind the scenes reactions, bloopers, yeah. outtakes, etc. You know when we say, I wish you could see Alicia's face right now? You're going to be able to see Alicia's face. <laughs> and then, I don't know. They may say, I wish I hadn't seen that. No, you know. I'm just kidding. And then, of course, as time goes on, as we see what the demand is, those yeah. things will change and we'll open up more options. Yeah, more tiers. It's super exciting. Our live streams are going to have Q&As. You guys are going to be able to submit questions ahead of time. Tell us what you want to hear about. If you want to talk about a specific case that we covered over the last month, we'll talk about all of that stuff. Yeah. it's I'm really excited. It's going to be a good time. So the only tier available right now, it includes everything that we've just talked about. It's $3 a month. Yes. We are super excited to kind of move forward with that. We are super excited also because that helps us move on to bigger right. cases that because we've each had cases that we would have loved to cover but it's difficult to find really good sources or more in-depth information on like court records and right. whatnot especially like the smaller towns and stuff they just don't they don't have everything digitized the way the bigger cities right. do so we can't always get the court records from them without paying that is and so this will help us continue growing our options on exactly cases we're thrilled yeah can't wait for you guys to be there (laughs) all right anything else i feel like we should have had party hats and i know i didn't think about it the problem is we're recording this like two weeks in advance so to you guys it's coming up in just two like two weeks or so yeah and so we i didn't think about coming in hot we're coming in hot (laughs) I didn't think about <laughs> I didn't think about the fact that we should have like celebrated. Oh, next week. Oh. We'll celebrate. We'll have a cake. The cake is up to you. No. You're the baker. I, I shouldn't have cake. What if I bring like part of a cake? 
just a little just part just of a it. little cake i'll just get like a slice and then just decorate that slice yeah so that's it thanks for listening to us talk about cake yeah woohoo woohoo who doesn't like cake everybody likes cake probably not everybody no not everybody my brother doesn't like cake see not everybody yeah well my brother's weird is he more of a candy guy he's i mean yeah if he's gonna do if he's gonna do no not pie if he's gonna do sweets he wants like a Kit Kat bar but he's not really a sweets person i don't trust him i don't trust anybody that's not a sweets person yeah you know i'm just kidding i used to say that i didn't trust anybody that didn't like chocolate until i met somebody that i love dearly that doesn't like chocolate and then i had to stop saying oh yeah well what are you gonna do some people just have bad taste they can't help it Genetics. Yeah. What are you going to do? Well, today, what we're going to do yeah. is we're going to talk about the barbecue pit murders. Blech. Right. That just already right. sounds gross. Also known as the murders of Jim and Naomi Olive. So I heard about this case and the, the, the title, the barbecue pit murders, grabbed me and was like, you must cover this. But well, it does. I mean, it sounds like it'll be very compelling. And you know what else? It is another case that is just like a lot of cases that I tend to cover. It's young people killing their parents. No. <laughs> oh, gosh. I didn't know that going in. I know. how. Like, I don't know that so many of the cases that I cover are so sad. <laughs> I end, know. Until you get into it and then you're like, well, crap. Oh, crap. But... I embrace it. Yeah. It is what it is. The The universe wants me to cover sad cases and wants you to cover cases of teenagers killing people. It's just so fascinating. Well. Way it be. Hope you enjoy. So let's dive right in. I don't know why I keep doing so many accents today, <laughs> but you're stuck with it. <laughs> so our story opens with Jeanette. She was a 19-year-old woman who became pregnant after having relations with a Scandinavian sailor who was on leave. Scandalous. Scandalous. Um, She put her little girl up for adoption and was very pleased when Naomi and Jim Olive adopted Marlene when she was just a day old. Good on them. And they... (laughs) Woo. (laughs) I don't know. I didn't know what to say. Good. Adoption is good. Naomi had struggled with mental illness prior, but after becoming a mother, things got a little bit worse. Her paranoia was unmanageable, constantly worried about whatever germs the baby might come into contact with, and this resulted in her becoming a bit of a recluse, especially with baby Marlene. Like, you, you know, you don't really take a baby out for the first, you know, little while. Yeah, initially. Initially. For the first, like, six weeks or so. Right. And so, on top of that, she's now worried about germs coming in contact on a regular basis when they are supposed to be going out yeah. in public. To the point of, she was so over-diligent that for the first six months of the baby's life, Naomi would only approach Marlene wearing a face mask, and she expected Jim and everybody else to do the same. Wait, what year are we talking? What is wrong? <laughs> I don't have the freaking year. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Well, there's not I mean, a ton of there's not a ton of sources on this one. Yeah, but it's that, not a super popular case. Yeah. And that would have been when she was a baby, and I'm assuming the murders don't take place till she's older. So she was born in 1959. <gasps> Scandalous. They're wearing face masks. I know. In I the six fifties and sixties. Yeah. Mm-hmm. To combat germs. What? What? I don't know why you're so shocked. <laughs> I'm I'm being sarcastic. Okay. <laughs> I was like, am I missing something about the 50s and 60s? Did we hate masks? No. It was my subtle way. Like, ma- masks contain germs. What? It's almost like we've known this. And conveniently, what? people forgot it. <laughs> what? Anyway... Jim had been struggling to keep a job, unfortunately. So he eventually was given a job in oil as a marketing executive. Okay. The only problem with this is that the family then had to move to Ecuador. Oh, wow. Which is a major change. 
Um, Marlene was very young, and so she spent a considerable amount of time as a child and a preteen being raised in Ecuador. Okay. However, Naomi was deeply unhappy with their lives there. She was really struggling with the change, even though they had a great standard of living and a full household staff to assist her. Oh. She was eventually diagnosed with paranoia and schizophrenia and self-medicated with alcohol. Oh, that's a bad combo. Right. Um, her husband chose to ignore this and basically acted like it wasn't happening. And her, his solution was to tell Naomi and his daughter Marlene, like, Marlene, come on, you just need to behave for your mom and you just need to get along because I don't want to deal with this. That was kind of the vibe. Reminds me of when my grandpa used to say, don't mind her, she's just got a touch of the Alzheimer's. <laughs> when my grandma would say things that didn't make sense, like when we... Yeah, like when she was like makes... fairly early diagnosed. Just a yeah, touch. Just a touch. And we're like, Grandpa, it's not a cold. She's not going to get over it. Like, it's funny. Yeah. My grandpa is a funny guy. Sorry, I've got a touch of OCD. Yeah. That's what <laughs> we've been talking. been talking a lot about autism in our family. And um, we decided that our, our new catchphrase is a taste of the tism. Oh, it's a taste it's of the a tism. Taste. My brother says a touch of the tism. Yeah, most people do say touch. That's what one of the children were trying to say, but they said taste instead, and so it's just stuck. So now yeah. we say, we, it's cool. We got a taste of the tism. Yeah. So. They actually do. It's not, we're not just. Yeah, one, one of, well, we don't have an offic- official yet, but yeah, we're, we're definitely leaning in that direction. It yeah. makes the most sense. It does make the so. most sense. Right. So Naomi's not doing well. Jim is like, Marlene, bestie, just please just get along with her because I can't handle this right now. I'm a marketing executive for big oil in Ecuador. I've got a lot on my plate. I'm a very busy man. I'm a very busy man. I need to go strum the hedges. <laughs> I'm a very busy man. I'm a very busy man. And so as Marlene got a little bit older, she grew closer to her father, which I think is to be expected when your mother is kind of unstable. And she began to stand in for her mom at social gatherings. So anytime her father would have like, a party or something and he was to bring a guest he would bring marlene instead of bringing naomi because she was more put together yeah yeah but that probably would start to seem really weird to people i mean she was only like 10 she wasn't okay not as she wasn't like a teenager yeah yeah no 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 no. he's just bringing his daughter it wasn't like a bizarre yeah Yeah. i can see where uh, yeah yeah i was thinking like teenager to early adult no 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 no. it was like it was like between the ages of like nine to okay. 12 ish gotcha. kind of thing. So things escalated when it came to their arguments in the home when Marlene was 10. She learned when she was 10 that she was adopted. She began to wonder if the reason that her and her mother didn't get along was because of the adoption, and she started to think that her parents may not have loved her at all. She also found out by finding her adoption papers, they didn't tell her. Oh, yeah. that's the worst. I know that 10 seems kind of old to, like, learn that you're adopted. So I, I kind of did a little bit re- of research. And no. psychologists tend to say that around the age of seven is when ch- children are old enough to really grasp the concept of adoption. Yeah. And this is when you start introducing it. So just I, I don't know how relevant that is to this situation. I just thought it was interesting. And when I find things interesting, I yeah. make you learn about them. So make you learn about that. I have been given a platform. I will educate you. I will teach. Um, That's fair. I, I think 10 is, yeah, I've always heard that when people tell their mm-hmm. children about adoption, it's usually somewhere between like 7 and 9. Yeah. So 10 is pushing it a little and to find out, but most importantly, to find out without them telling right. her is... I imagine that it probably felt like a betrayal. I I can see how that would feel that way for sure. It would feel like, oh, okay, another secret. So, you know, that really, I think, did did her in with her relationship with her mother for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's that's a really difficult thing. Well, yeah, if you already struggle feeling loved by right. your mother and then you find out you're adopted, of course a kid's going to think... That's why you don't love me, because I'm not actually your kid. Yeah, I can totally see how she got there, for sure. Yeah. So, 
We're going to speed up a little bit. And when Marlene was 14, her father lost his job in Ecuador. So the family moved back to the U.S. and into the state of California. They moved to Terra Linda, which is about 14 miles north of San Francisco. So there's your geography. Okay. While here, Jim started a successful small business consulting company, which kept him away from home for long hours because, you know, you're starting a business. Yeah. This left Marlene and her mother, Naomi, home alone together a lot with a strained relationship on top of that. 14 is a really difficult age to move. I moved when I was like that age-ish, kind of. And I can't imagine moving from Ecuador to California. That's a culture shift, you know? Yeah. Yeah. She struggled with the move and she struggled to make friends at her new school. Not to mention her mom's alcoholism was worsening, as well as the fighting and the anger between the two of them. The stress was so bad that Marlene got a stomach ulcer at 14. Bruh. Rather than facing the underlying problems with this child's life, they um, prescribed her tranquilizers and sleeping pills to cope with her issues. And this is when she began to misuse her prescriptions. When those were no longer enough for her, she began dabbling in illegal substances. Yeah. Well, at this point, we're talking like the 14, so like the early 70s. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. For sure. And this opened up a whole new demographic of friendship for Marlene. I bet. You do some drugs, you open up, uh, you open some doors. <laughs> She grew into a love of glam rock, the occult, and witchcraft and had a new group of friends. With her new rebellious personality, things got worse at home yet again, and even more so when Jim started to openly side with Naomi in their arguments. So no longer does she feel like she has her dad in her corner. Yeah. And everything would change for Marlene when she decided to buy drugs from a 19-year-old named Charles Riley, who went by Chuck. Oh, Chuck. Oh, Chuck. Now, Chuck has a story of his own. Chuck is the oldest of three children and had struggled with his weight his entire life. By the time he was 15 years old, he was being prescribed weight loss drugs because he weighed over 300 pounds. He began to misuse this drug, needing more energy, and this is kind of what kickstarted his drug use. Mm. He was using so much, he began to sell to feed his habit, and he dropped out of school at 17. He hopped around day jobs and began selling more frequently. He was also known for being a gun collector and was apparently a pretty good shot. I don't know what to say about that. Yep. So when Marlene approached Chuck, it was love at first sight. He was done. That was his person. He had decided. He had never had a girlfriend before, but it didn't matter because Marlene was, that was his wife. Oh, Okay. She originally was not interested in, in him at all because of his size, but he lost some weight while he was pursuing her and began showering her with gifts, affection, and free drugs. Eventually, the two began a physical relationship, and then a legit boyfriend-girlfriend situation came up. Yeah. Apparently, Marlene's parents actually approved of the relationship despite their age gap. And um, despite the fact that he's a high school dropout? Well, he had, a, he had a good job at the time and oh, he, okay. like, a, like, a, like a normal day job, and he, mm-hmm. they didn't know that he was a drug dealer. So. Okay. Right. So I'm assuming you've already figured this out, but this relationship is going to become so toxic so fast. Whatever I'm going to become, mean? I'm going to become <laughs> the most toxic. Whatever like, could you possibly mean? I know. These things Two always. teenagers with an age difference. Rough home life. Rough home upbringings. Don't feel loved at home. Not going to end Hooked on drugs because of the prescription drugs that were prescribed to you from your parents and doctors. Whatever could go wrong. Nothing. These situations are always excellent. So, as I mentioned, Chuck was really obsessed with Marlene, and Marlene used this to her advantage. She used it to get everything she wanted. If she didn't get what she wanted, she would threaten to break up with Chuck. She was also physically abusive, beating and biting him to get her way. Please don't be mistaken. I'm not trying to blame her for the turn of events that is about to come. 
I believe that they are equally at fault for the crimes that took place. And I want to make it very clear that he was the adult in the situation and she was the minor. Yeah. There is abuse on both sides. Yeah. I just think that it's important to understand that minors can also be abusive too. <laughs> like, yeah, this sure. can go both ways. He was in the wrong. They, she, she was too young to be dating. I'm not. Well, and even though typically there would be that power dynamic of him being older, right? There was also the power dynamic of he was like actually in love with her, and she really, right, wasn't in love with him. Uh, yeah. She just decided to go along probably because if especially if her parents liked him they were off her back a little bit probably he was feeding her drugs Mm -hmm. so supporting that habit and we all know what toxic decisions one can make when right doing drugs it's just it's just a a vat of bad yeah (laughs) so let's talk a little bit about what Marlene and Chuck's day-to-day relationship was like. Marlene referred to herself as the high priestess. Oh. And regularly pushed Chuck to fulfill both her sexual and criminal fantasies for her. On two occasions, Marlene broke up with Chuck, and on both of these occasions, Chuck attempted to take his own life. Some sources say that Marlene said she had magical powers over Chuck, and he believed that. Now, I cannot confirm because this does not have a, this this case doesn't have a ton of sources like super reliable sources. Hmm. This is a he said she said, but apparently yeah. she said she had magic over him. So that's that's the delusion level that we're working with here. Yeah. Okay. So you guys have heard me cover cases like this before too, so we kind of know yeah. where this is going. Marlene began to tell her friends at school how much she hated her mother and that she wished she was dead. It escalated when she would tell them how she wanted to kill her mother. And then she made an actual plan. Her first attempt on her mother's life was a simple one. She mixed together a bunch of prescription pills and put them in her mother's meal. However, when Naomi tried to eat it, she was like, "Mm, this is really bitter. I can't eat this. This doesn't taste good. Yeah. Right. Because this isn't not how this works. (laughs) So... It's almost as if a high priestess would know that. Yeah, I feel like a high priestess would definitely know Know how to poison people properly. Right. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what high priestesses do. I don't know. I don't actually know. Nobody take offense to my ignorant comments. But, well, I think anybody with common sense (laughs) would know that that's going to have a taste, babes. Yeah. I guess killing mom took kind of a back burner approach for a little while. Because the next thing that we know, in early 1975, her and Chuck go in a very long shopping spree. I'm so sorry. Did I say shopping? I meant shoplifting. They're thieves. <laughs> I was going to say. They're thiefing. Thiefing. Over the course of a couple of weeks, the, the two would steal $6,000 of merchandise, which doesn't sound super intense until you do the conversion. That is nearly $30,000 in today's buying power. Yeah. Thirty six thousand is a lot. Oh well, yeah, for shoplifting, six thousand is a lot. But yeah, thirty thousand is. I mean, that's at least a couple weeks of groceries. <laughs> In this economy. In this economy, that's like two tanks of gas and a grocery trip. <laughs> at least. At least. Name brand groceries too, <laughs> and you're going to Publix. Yeah, it doesn't, it, even, it doesn't even matter. No. Walmart raised all the prices of great value stuff as yeah. well. So, what this world Thinking is coming Walmart. to. So, they were caught, but somehow only Chuck was charged with grand larceny. Once Jim and Marlene heard about Chuck's arrest, they were like, no, you, he can't come to the property. He's, for, he's forbidden to be on the property. And I from seeing you, you, I forbid it. Which just meant that they were going to start seeing each other in secret, obviously. Like, when does yeah. that ever work? You know, we've we've seen it from from ye olden days. Ye olden days. <laughs> Tale as old as time. True. Making it forbidden makes them want it more. And I mean, obviously, this just kind of pissed Marlene off. You're taking away the person that she abused to get what she wanted. So she's going to get him back. And her thoughts of killing her mother escalated. 
On June 21st, 1975, Marlene and Naomi had yet another blowout fight. After the screaming match, Marlene called Chuck and told him to get his gun and that he had to kill her. She made a basic rudimentary plan of taking her father shopping and leaving the door unlocked for Chuck to come in and kill her mom. Okay, and then what? <laughs> like, what do you think's going to happen after that? We'll figure that out. I mean, I have an idea based on the name of the case, but... Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So Chuck went inside the home armed with a twenty-two and high on LSD and found Naomi sleeping on the daybed in her sewing room. Instead of using the gun... He first hit her with a hammer before stabbing her and then finally suffocating her with a pillow in the bed. That's interesting. It is, and you'll see why. It is fascinating. Unfortunately, before Chuck left, James came home. Oh. Jim Olive saw Chuck, and then he saw his bloodied and murdered wife and grabbed the knife and lunged at him. This time, Chuck fired three shots, hitting and killing Jim. Okay. So then, standing in the home with her murdered parents, Marlene and Chuck decided to take her parents' money and go shopping. Then, they went out to dinner, and they saw a movie. And when they got back, they figured they should probably do something about the bodies. (laughs) You think? I mean, I'm honestly assuming that they probably talked about what they were going to do, like, at dinner or something. Like, I can't imagine that that would not be something discussed. Yeah. Like, you're clearly going to not be focused on the movie you're watching. If you are, I'm concerned. I mean, I'm concerned regardless. Or did they do it to, like, have, like, an alibi to be like, oh, we were out. I don't know. know. You know, we don't really know. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So they came back. They wrapped the bodies in sheets, and then they took them to a local druggie hang, um, which is like a a campground-type beat situation. Yeah. Um, They put their bodies into a barbecue pit, and they doused them in gasoline and lit them on fire. The first thing I always think about when people try to burn bodies is how how little people realize, uh, like, people know about burning bodies. Like, are you a Winchester? (laughs) Do you know what you're doing here? Do you have a Zippo Are lighter? Are you a monster hunter? Are you going to go and then throw it and it's going to go whoosh with like dramatic music in the back? No. Did you salt it first? Did you salt the body first? So then you don't know what you're doing. And if you didn't watch Supernatural, you're very confused. Mm, yeah. We talked about this a lot during the Alyssa Bustamante case as well. Like yep. it's it takes a lot. Anyway, you've heard me. I just have feelings. Well, yeah, it does. What do you think happened? Like, even when you cremate a body, it doesn't all burn to nothing. Right. Like, there's still, like, bone doesn't just break down that easily. Right. Just saying. Okay. So, this is kind of where sources get a little bit confusing for me when I was researching for this. Okay. So, the two definitely left while the fire was still burning. Some sources say that firemen were called to deal with the unattended fire and that they saw white bones in the ash, but that it was deer season. And so it's deer hunting season. And it was very common in this area for people to hunt deer, clean it and cook it that day, like on the pits like that. It was normal for them. Fresh off the Barbie. okay? (laughs) Okay. Other people don't say that this happened they just it's just a weird little tidbit that some people say happens and some people say didn't okay okay after two days chuck and marlene enlisted the help of a 17 year old friend named diana or diana hard to tell (laughs) sources are weird oh gotcha um either way they they called their friend in to help them clean the sewing room Mm. because it was covered in blood yeah This was not the only person they told about their crimes. They told several people, actually. The couple later returned to the park and further buried remains along with some additional evidence. They went back to the home and continued to live there. They used their checks, cash, and cards to go to concerts, eat eat out, and live it up. 
Their plan was to stay in the home until the parents were declared missing, and then when they were declared dead, they were going to collect the life insurance money and start a new life for themselves. They can't be declared missing until you report them missing. Well, Jim's business partner actually reported him missing pretty quickly. Okay. Um, He hadn't shown up for work, and obviously that's a little concerning when you're in business with somebody. I mean, you know, that's that's one of the very few perks of having a job (laughs) is that you're expected (laughs) to be someplace. And when you're not, they're like, well, they're supposed to be here. (laughs) We better all keep our day jobs. Yeah, because what if you go missing? Just in case. Right. Just saying. I'm screwed. No, you have a job. It's me. I would be like, where are you? Yeah, that's true. If you didn't answer my text in a day. It would be be a long time. Well, yeah, that's true. We do text. I would be concerned. If I go missing, though, you know my kids had something to do with it. (laughs) Because they're the only people that see me, physically see me every single day. Right. And if one of your children didn't call, they would be. Let me rephrase that. If they do not report me missing and I go missing, then yes. they definitely then have, they have something, something to, to do, do with, with it. it. Right. For sure. Which is why y- you look guilty when lady, you don't. When you're just living it up at your house. Right. And your parents went missing. And, we'll- and his partner, business partner, has to report him missing. Pretty much exactly what happens. Yeah. They look, yeah. They look real sus. So the business partner calls the police and they go and do a check of the home. And when they arrive, they notice um, that there was like the same mess of a lived in home. Yeah. But one room was very clean. (laughs) Of course. Right. So Marlene wasn't home when the police got there and they went in and did their their wellness check because they were very concerned. Mm-hmm. Hadn't heard from either Naomi or Jim in days, and Marlene is not there. So now they're concerned about a missing child. Yeah. So they go into the home, and that's when they see whatever. They leave a note for Marlene, hoping that she'll come home, and they're, you know, going to go out and start looking for them. Okay. She finds the note when she comes back, and she goes into the police station, and she tells authorities that her parents had gone onto a brief vacation to Lake Tahoe, but had yet to return. I mean, I know this is back in the 70s, so... There weren't as many cases like this. Right. So I guess I can't I can't fault her for not realizing that's like the dumbest thing you could have ever. Right. When you lie about where they are. Like there's there's a paper trail. There's a way that they can check that. Yeah. And when they find that that's not the case, what do you think is going to happen to you? Right. You're also limiting them to the same state. So, like, it's all within one general jurisdiction here. I mean, we have county lines, but. Yeah. Anyway. So, again, sources kind of vary. Some people say that they took her into custody there as an unsupervised minor and as a safety thing, which I'm sure that they did. Um, But some people say that it's like they took her into police custody versus they probably called a social worker or whatever. Right. Other people say that she wasn't actually taken into police custody until one of the friends who helped clean the room calls the police and informed them of the couple's statements about killing both parents. Yeah. Acting on either the information from Marlene or information from her friend, Marlene is taken into custody and they go search the China Camp barbecue pit. That's what it was called. It was called China Camp. Okay. So somehow they got this information and they went there. Gotcha. Okay, cool. I hate not having, like, definitive stuff. Yeah. Yeah. But. I mean, but that's the most logical conclusion. Right. Is that if sources are saying that they told multiple people about. Then somebody told. Then that's probably what happened. That's probably ultimately how evidence gets found, et cetera, is because those people came forward and turned them in. Exactly. That's kind of my opinion, too, is that somebody somebody told yeah so when they searched the barbecue pit area they did determine that it contained fragments of burnt human remains and um it was confirmed that it was jim and naomi olive marlene and chuck were both arrested and once in custody marlene opened her big fat mouth of course she did she doesn't seem to be able to hold things closely right so she 
kind of stuck to her story about them being in Lake Tahoe. But then she started saying, yeah, they're in Lake Tahoe, but in my heart, I know that they're dead. (laughs) Oh, my God. What? She just knows. They haven't come back, and I just know that they're dead. Bruh. Okay. So, um, again, if that were the case, why did you not report them missing? Right. She changes her story, and not that she's changing her story. She's really just theorizing with the police at this point that her dad killed her mom, and then she shifted gears and said that her mom killed her dad, and then that her mom killed her dad, and then she killed herself. And and then threw both of the bodies in the barbecue pit. Right. Right. <laughs> right. I don't even know if she knew about the barbecue pit, because I'm assuming that this, like, the barbecue pit remains were actually found after. I'm sure that they talked okay. to Marlene because they arrested them when they got the story. Yeah. So, but still, yeah. Then they threw, then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Then the ghost of my mom Pushed levitated them into the, the barbecue pit. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. She then told her, her, <laughs> she then, <laughs> she didn't tell her parents anything. They're dead. She told the police that her parents had been killed by Hell's Angels. Uh, why (laughs) i don't know i don't know but to be a fly on the wall in that room yeah that would be nice like what are you talking about (laughs) right so chuck was arrested on probable cause as was marlene and once they talked to some more of their friends and they got information on the way that marlene and chuck's relationship functioned uh, they used that to kind of immediately get him to fold which he did well He gave them a detailed confession and told them that it was all Marlene that Marlene pushed him and made him commit this crime. Oh. Chuck may have been the one to tell them about the campsite and in the ashes they did find the bone, human bone fragments. Again, not sure how they found out about the campsite. Regardless, they went. There were bones. Yeah. I mean, if somebody didn't tell them sooner than if he gave a full confession, then that should have been part of the confession. But. But they may have gotten a tip. From the beginning, it's weird. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know what to say to... I just... Well... Don't, like, I get the ick. You're gonna have feelings. I get ick. Like, I get it. You were infatuated with this girl. But she didn't make you do anything. Right. Well, also, he was on LSD, so... Well, that's true. Heavy drugs. Yeah. Um, so obviously neither of these stories really go in Marlene's favor, no matter how you spin it. And so she decides, okay, well, this isn't working, so let's change it again. And she said that after the murders, Chuck held her hostage and forced her to take drugs and that the murders were all him and that she was a victim. (laughs) Yep. Yep. Uh Uh-huh. But again, you didn't, like, run to authorities once it was over. Right. And, like, I don't know what to say because I never want it to come like we're victim blaming. But also, this is a murderer. So, (laughs) once we get through the whole trial bit, I think you'll have some feelings and you'll know uh, why I don't feel bad for her. Yeah. Well, and however it came out, like, that she already tried to kill her mom. Yeah, she tried to kill her mom. And she ran her mouth to people about killing her mom. Right. She told all her friends she wanted to kill her mom. This isn't a surprising story. So honestly, even if they being in the toxic relationship they were in and she kept running her mouth about wanting her parents dead. Yeah. Even if he did it himself and she didn't say, I want you to kill my parents. Like she's involved. You're you're partially to blame because. Right. You know how he feels about you and you keep running your mouth. Right. Stop it. It's just a situation where both parties are, in my opinion, equally at fault for what happened. Because they're, again, the other side of this is that she is also a victim because he is older than her. He is feeding her drugs. It's a whole mess of a situation, okay? Yeah. So during the investigation, we're we're, we're moving into, like, the investigation and trial. So just to keep you up to date on where we are. During the investigation, they searched both their bedrooms, Chuck and Marlene's rooms and their respective homes. And they found some notes. When they were in Chuck's house, they found numerous letters that Marlene had written to him in which she writes, of course, I hope you'll wait until I'm 18 to marry me or kill my parents. Honey. Sweetie. 
Right. And then when they're searching Marlene's room, they find yet another letter, this time addressed to a Mike who is believed to have been a former boyfriend of Marlene's. That's yeah, that says, I was thinking about what you said about that man who would take care of my mom. I think we should talk it over together, you and I. I'd be worried about what would happen after she died, but whatever did wouldn't keep me away from you. How romantic. How romantic and damning because this is a second person you've tried to recruit to kill your mother. Yeah. Shout out to Mike for not killing her mom. Yeah, really. Um, I don't I don't even know what to say. It's difficult when it's teenagers, but even as a teenager, like I really as you tell these stories, I think back I try very hard. I have teenagers currently and I try to think like Yeah, you have kids this age. Would would my teenagers be this stupid? (laughs) (laughs) No. Or would I have been that stupid? Not that any of us would have ever wanted to kill anybody, but I'm just thinking about the aftermath of like just knowing that you have notes that you've written. You've literally written it on paper. It is documented. Right. And I know that not everybody thinks like that. I've always been one to think like that, which is why I went into the field of law. You know, I've always blamed that, like, that's how my dad is, too. He's the same way. And he used to be a cop. And, like, it's just the... Yeah. You get that mindset. And I don't know if it's, like, a taught mindset anyway. Yeah. And I don't know either. I don't... I mean, neither of my parents... Well, I think I get it from my dad, really. um, Because he tends to kind of think like that. But... And it probably sounds horrible to a lot of people, like... Yeah, some How? people think that we're, like, so paranoid and we live such anxious lives. And, I mean, you're not wrong, but. Yeah, but that that's the fact. But you're not going to catch me. I mean, I'm not doing anything wrong. Right, yeah, <laughs> but, I'm not doing anything wrong. And I'm one terrified hand, of authority. On so. one hand, I'm an open book. Like, we were talking a little yeah. bit ago about, like, data. And you're like, you can have my data. Target adds to me. I don't care. I love to shop. That's yeah. great. You can have all the cookies. I Stop feel, asking me. I feel like that to a certain extent because I'm not super paranoid about like the government having stuff on me because I don't. My life is boring, my right. dude. You can see China. You can see whatever you want. Right. My life is boring. There's nothing weird or there's no skeletons in my closet. Like that's you fine. Can, and you know what? I'm a proud Gen Z when I say you can go back through my entire internet history and you won't be able to cancel me. Yeah. So. I know that I tend to be an overly honest person. Mm-hmm. So I don't worry about. Yeah. Nothing's going to come back and bite coming you. Coming back. Yeah. you stand by what you say. But at the same time, if I do have, you know, intrusive thoughts, I'm not going to write them down on page. Right. <laughs> or put them on the internet well, in this I think, generation. I think the difference is genuinely just like IQ. <laughs> like I don't like that's the thing is I don't know it, is it or is it just a person I'm just so fascinated by it all. I'm sorry right. for that tangent, but I am. I'm just so fascinated by no. like why are so many people that lean towards criminal behavior or go to such extremes? Why are you not smart about it at least? Right. I feel like there's definitely a more efficient way to do it. Like, and people are so dumb. I just. I'm glad they're dumb because they get caught. Yes. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's just fascinating to me of like, do you think you're smarter than you are? Yeah. Or is it that you're just not, you just didn't even think about it because you're just seeing red and you just want these people dead. And so you don't care. I think it's both. I think, I think the situation comes out for both, but I think a lot of times. We see more. I mean, statistically, it's probably more of the like crimes of passion. But like for true crime cases, we tend to see more of the people who just their egos are so big. They think that they're so smart. They're never going to get caught. And I think that's what happened in Marlene's case, too. I mean, that's true. I I will say just generally speaking, being a uh, mom of teenagers, you know, I do tend to get a lot of videos in my feed about other people talking about kids and teenagers specifically. And there is a lot of talk amongst parents of teenagers about how funny it is that your teenagers think they have everything figured out. Oh, yeah. The saying, no, everything at 18, nothing at 22. Yeah. Which is so true. Yeah. So 
Yeah, I'm sure that it's just that. It's just fascinating to me that to, that they can take it to that level. Right. So, like, you literally think right. you're going to outsmart an entire investigative police right. department. Right. Yeah, no. You know? <laughs> yeah, no. They, the police would literally have to be so inept not right. to figure this out. Right. And this one came together for them real quick. Like, yes. It, you know, yeah. Interesting conversation. I loved it. Thanks for coming to our TED Talk. <laughs> the two, uh, Chuck and Marlene, were tried separately. Chuck was 20. And so he was very obviously tried as an adult. Marlene, however, was 16 at the time of the crime. Yeah. Which is a line. It's a weird line it when is. it comes to this. And she was tried as a juvenile. And I think it's fascinating. At this age, most of the time that they're 16 and committing crimes, they get tried as adults. Yeah. So you know why she wasn't? Because in the state of California, 16 and up tried as an adult, 15 and younger tried as a juvenile. But that's actually a rule called Proposition 57, which went into effect in California Judicia in 2017. Yeah. So most of the time that I hear about it, we're, they're, yeah, if you're 16, you're tried as an adult, but that didn't start until 2017. Wow. I'm surprised that it, that that's that new. Mm-hmm. So being charged as a minor changes very specific things in California. And again, I had to look them up because we don't live in California and I'm not an attorney and we're just lowly Florida paralegals. <laughs> yes. Under Proposition 57, California bars all minors 15 and younger from being tried as an adult. Instead, regardless of the severity of the charge, they remain under the jurisdiction of juvenile courts. Juvenile records can be sealed. Um, They will be sealed upon the request of the minor after they turn 21 and complete their probation. Many can even have their records expunged entirely. Juvenile convictions do not involve prison sentences. Instead, they lead to probation at home or in a dedicated institution such as a probation camp. Rarely, they might include placement in a secure youth treatment facility or a division of juvenile justice. These are still focused on young offenders, and they are frequently months rather than years. Wow. Juvenile courts focus heavily on rehabilitation and not punishment. The entire purpose of the juvenile justice system is to help guide young offenders away from crime and giving them other options rather than punishing them. So. I say wow because of this case. Right. Not like, wow. Right. Okay. So the difference between the adult and juvenile court penalties is very stark. Yes. It's drastic in California as of 2017. I don't know what it is in reality. I am simply reading the rules as written. Yeah, I mean, it, just I'm because sure that, you slap the label probation camp on it doesn't mean that it's right. Hunky-dory. In reality, that different than being in mm-hmm. prison. So, the outcome for minors who are charged with adult sentences. I thought this was interesting. I mean, not not that I didn't think that this was true. It's just somebody wrote it down, and I thought I should say it. You know? Okay. It makes sense when you read it out loud. The adult judicial system is not designed for adolescents and does not have appropriate rehabilitation or education programs, and teenagers charged as adults frequently have poorer outcomes and lifelong entanglements with the legal system. True. In in contrast, kids who remain in the juvenile system are less likely to face additional criminal charges as adults. I believe that. Right. So, in some, at least wherever these statistics are brought or this study was done, the juvenile system works. Now, it didn't work for Marlene. Oh, no. But we're going to talk about Chuck. Chuck was charged with two counts of first-degree murder and was facing the death penalty. His trial began in October of 1975. And in the trial, Chuck's story changes a little bit. This is fascinating. He testified under hypnosis. Oh. They originally had the jury listen to tapes of Chuck being hypnotized by a hypnotist, which they replayed several times in court. Apparently, it was so boring that sometimes the jurors fell asleep. But if that wasn't enough, they then hypnotized him on the stand to really be able to tell his story. Wow. He states that he did stab and suffocate Naomi, but he did so because when he arrived at the home, he found that she had already been beaten with the hammer and was dying a slow and painful death. He said that he had originally lied about this to protect Marlene, 
who had allegedly beaten her mother with the hammer prior to his arrival and then called him to clean up her mess to come finish the job. But he didn't say that till he was hypnotized on the stand. He didn't say it until that was what his defense team was basically saying, right? Yeah. And, and they and they did it under hypnosis. Wow. I don't, again, I don't know if it was he had to be hypnotized because he just wouldn't let go of protecting Marlene or if it was because they just he may made it look more convincing or he was or, blocking it out. Yeah. I'm not sure, but I did think it was fascinating that he did it under hypnosis on the stand in a yeah. courtroom. The most formal place in the world. Yeah. It's a courtroom. Until people are jumping over judge benches. I know. <laughs> that that happened wild. A, it happened a couple weeks ago. I posted it on stories. Psychologist testified that his deep obsession with Marlene was actually a mental illness, which obviously it is. But, like, they said that specifically it had turned into a mental illness. It wasn't, like, infatuation. Oh, wow. Yeah. Author and reporter Richard M. Levine later wrote that compared to Marlene Olive, Riley did not harbor much anger at Naomi Olive, whom he barely knew, and therefore Riley would be less likely to use a method of homicide suggesting rage, that Riley would have used his loaded gun as the weapon rather than a hammer, and that Marlene Olive had previously asked Riley how hard she would have to hit Naomi Olive in order to kill her. However, others have noted that Marlene had no blood on her clothing when she left the house and would not have had time to change her clothes, and that Riley used a hammer to avoid alerting neighbors because it made less noise than a gunshot, and that according to a hypnosis expert, Riley's revised confession lacked credibility. Marlene Olive continued to maintain that Riley had beaten and killed her mother in addition to shooting her father and denied that she herself had any part in the killing of either parent. Wait. End quote. But wait. But wait. But wait. You said initially that the story was that she called him, told him, come kill my mother, and the whole plan was that she would get her father out of the house. Yes. Oh, no, you never mind. My my thought was foiled. I forgot that you said that she was there. I was thinking, but then dad came home, and where was she? But she was there when he you, shot I didn't say that. I didn't say that. We don't know. I don't I don't know. I never saw definitively in my research yeah. where she was. Now there are I think there is a book on the subject that I did not read. Okay. I'm sure that that had a lot of the answers to some of the questions that I had, but again, my problem with that is I'm not going to look at one specific book as like yeah, the you law. never you never know. When yeah. I'm looking at the same sources that they're using, I mean they use yeah. more extensive sources because it's a book that they're writing, not an hour long episode. They, yeah, they usually go and do interviews, and right, everything. and stuff like that. Yeah. So, to me, sometimes reading a book is counterproductive if it's the only book on the subject and I can't compare it to other sources, kind of thing. Yeah, I should have read it, Fair. but in the way that we structure our podcast, we don't always have time to do that. Yeah. Fair. So, all that to be said. I did not say where she was. I'm assuming that she was there or that dad had come that's home. That's an assumption. And because that was kind of weird to me, like, I agree from, I'm not, again, the armchair psychologist, but I'm agreeing right. with a psychiatrist or psychologist in stating, like, to kill somebody by stabbing them or bludgeoning them usually is either in a panic or a crime of passion. Right. Where you have rage against that person. Right. And when he had a gun at his disposal, like he brought a gun. And he had a gun. Right. So it has it has not made sense to me the entire time researching. That doesn't make sense. It didn't it didn't make sense to me. But wait, if her plan was to get her dad out of the house. Where is she? Why did he come back so soon? Right. And 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 again definitively where was she why is that not in the sources that i'm finding on a regular basis yeah it's a little weird yeah so not trying to start a conspiracy but mm. you're not starting the conspiracy yeah it's people are worried about it yeah you know i and again i do have a lot of mixed feelings about the limited um resources that i i mean i had plenty like you can look in the yeah. you can look in the source notes but like they're all they all have different stuff in them and that's always so frustrating. Yeah. But um yeah, that's that was one author's opinion and one reporter's opinion was that it could go either way basically is how he wrote it like Yeah. Wild. Wild. The trial took 7 weeks 
And in January, the jury came back with their verdict. Guilty. He was sentenced to the death penalty for his crimes. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Marlene's trial was set to begin. She was charged with violating 602 California State Welfare and Institutions Code, which covers most juvenile crimes of any kind. Her juvenile hearing only took two days. What? While it was easily proven that Chuck killed Jim Olive, it was not determined which of the two killed Naomi. His trial took seven weeks, and her juvenile hearing took two days. Because they aren't trying to prove the facts of the case, they're trying to prove did she violate Section 602 of the California State Welfare and Institutions Code. Yeah. I'm just going to let the silence hang on that. Ugh. The court, the court ruled that she instigated, aided, abetted, and acted in the crimes that resulted in the murders of her parents, and she was sentenced to four to six years in a juvenile detention facility. The discrepancy between the sentences made national news. Yeah. See, she was originally set to be released on her 21st birthday, which was the four-year mark, unless she was found to not be rehabilitated, in which case the court could keep her until she was 23. Meanwhile, Chuck was sentenced to death. Yeah. When they could not definitively prove in Marlene's trial that she was not the person who killed her mom. That's like in the court documents. I I don't even know what to say. (laughs) Meanwhile, which, and and again, that wasn't technically the court's job. Yeah. Their job was to see, did she violate 602? And she did. And that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. 11 months after Chuck's sentence was um, given, it was found to be unconstitutional due to changes in California law. He was then resentenced to two consecutive life sentences with the possibility of parole after seven years, which is really drastically different than what he was originally sentenced Yeah. With. So that makes me think that the sentencing hearing the second time around after the law changed, where they were like, okay, this was a lot for this. Like, yeah. because of the facts of the case on Marlene's exactly. side, which yeah. again, not really supposed to be taken into consideration, but the, the change in sentencing I thought was interesting. Like the, the possibility of parole after seven years, that's really short. That is. But was that taking into consideration, consideration time served? of time served? Probably. So. It was only 11 months served though. Oh, oh yeah. That's still, that's short. Yeah. Okay. Marlene continued to serve her sentence at the Ventura School, which she was, like, after a little while there, they were like, yeah, you can actually just complete your most of your sentence outside of school. You can go live with this volunteer. So she packed up from school. She went and started living with this woman. And then six weeks before her parole was set to, to, to go, stupid Marlene escaped and ran off to New York. In New York, she picked up work as a sex worker. She was arrested and brought back to California to finish out her sentence. She was released in 1980, and she only served four years of her sentence. They could have kept her until she was 23, and she was still released after, even after breaking, you know, all of her rules. She was still released after four years. That is crazy. Yep. After being released, she moved to Los Angeles, where she changed her name numerous times and was arrested on at least seven different drug charges or forgery-related charges. She served two one-year terms in jail, and in 1986, she was one of 14 people arrested in Los Angeles for allegedly operating a large counterfeiting and forgery ring, of which she was thought to be the ringleader. (laughs) She was subsequently convicted and sentenced five years in prison. She served additional time in California after a 1992 conviction for a false financial statement, and then in 1995 for possessing a forged driver's license. In 2003, in Kern County, California, she pleaded guilty to passing a fictitious check in Bakersfield and was sentenced to seven years in prison. In 1992, the Los Angeles Times called her, quote, the queen of the trashers. Due to her oh alleged God. skills at committing forgery, forgery and fraud. Police said, quote, they had rarely come across a street-level forger believed to be as prolific or as skilled as Marlene Olive. Wow. Yep. Is she still alive? 
Yes. I think so. Haven't heard otherwise. Wow. She, yeah, after after that stuff in like 92-ish, we haven't really heard much. Um, Marlene Olive saw Chuck Riley only once after they were arrested for murder when she visited him visited him in prison in 1981. After the visit, Riley correctly predicted, quote, I will never see her again. 30 years after Marlene's release, Chuck was finally able to make some progress. I'm not trying to like make it sound like I'm on his side, but I'm really more on the side of like, why is Marlene free? Yeah, that's, you know. He's granted a new parole hearing 30 years after on the grounds that he had never been proven to be a danger to society since he'd been in jail and that his sentence was unconstitutionally excessive. So even though it was drastically different, he'd never been given parole yet. Like, you know, yeah, it's a lot. And some people, I think, genuinely have an argument when they say that they because they couldn't prove that he was the one who beat Naomi with the hammer. They proved that he killed her. Could not prove that he was, yeah, that he's the one who beat her with a hammer. People could say that that was excessive sentencing because of that. I I feel like, well, he did kill. He killed Jim. Jim. But he said that was self-defense because Jim saw yeah, and Naomi came after and him. came at him. So, I mean, I think, what, 30 years is yeah. a fair sentence for what he did. For what, yeah, I mean, for what he says he did. Because most life sentences in most states, right? you serve about 25, 30 years right. max, and then you can get out on parole. Right. Anyway, so he was granted a new parole hearing, and at this hearing, he was found to be eligible for release. Except the governor of California felt that Chuck had never, quote, accepted his responsibility in the murders. Oh, uh, yeah, that that is... And because of this, he overturned the parole hearing's verdict. California Gover- Governor Jerry Brown, who explained that, quote, although Riley professes to accept some responsibility, he continues to downplay his role in the crime. Until Mr. Riley is able to come to terms with his role in this horrendous double murder, I do not believe he will be able to avoid violent behavior if released, end quote. Except he appealed. <laughs> he appealed uh, yeah. the governor's verdict and the court overturned it. And 40 years after the crime, Chuck was released on parole. And from what I could see, we don't really know what Marlene is doing, if she's alive, if she's in jail. Yeah. I have mixed feelings on that rule. For parole hearings of, like, you have to accept full responsibility. It sucks. I mean, in this case, it's questionable. Yeah. But for people who have been wrongfully convicted, and then they sit in prison. Yeah. Even when they could be paroled, because in order to be paroled, they would have to admit that they did something. Right. And I so I have very mixed feelings about I do too, um, but mostly because I think that Marlene, I, I personally am of the opinion that Marlene did beat her mother with the hammer. I definitely lean that direction. Yeah. You know, it's there's a it, lot to it. It makes more sense to me I that had, she would yeah. have done that. I looked on some like true crime subreddits when I was looking for where uh, Marlene was now, and mm-hmm. that's why I... I don't think that we really know because the people on subreddits were saying that they don't know. I will, I will say I didn't like extensively Google because she changed her name so many times. Oh yeah. It's, it's hard you can't up. really find it. So I relied on other sources for that. Again, yeah. couldn't really find anything. I just felt like that was something I should throw out there so that you know where I got that information from that I didn't really yeah. know where, what she's doing now because I mean, nobody knows really, she's in her sixties. Right. So. Nobody really knows what she's doing. So at this point, you know, she probably would change her name one last right. time once she's done committing crimes. crimes for sure. If she's like, okay, cool, I have all the funds that I need for my retirement. Right. I can right. play this out. Right. So like I said, there is a book on the subject. There's also, um, it's also talked about in at least one other book that I remember seeing off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, But yeah, it's not a super talked about case in... um podcast land so here we are here we are well i found it fascinating and not nearly as grotesque as i expected right. it the to name, be with that name the name does make it sound like it's gonna be super bleh, you know yeah <laughs> for sure for real i mean 
I, I was prepared for like Jeffrey Dahmer level. Right, right. Stuff. And it's not, it's, it's not, not that. it's not, it's not. So leave us a dear emoji if you made it to the end of this episode or an olive. Or an olive. Yeah. Nice. And we hope you enjoyed. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Thank you guys for keeping up with my, my, some sources say. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some cases are just like that. Just be like that. But if you like what you heard and you haven't already, go ahead and visit Apple or Spotify. Yes. And give us a, you know. A little review. review. A rating, a review of something. Um, yeah, we appreciate it. As always, our sources are listed in our show notes. Yep. That's all I got. That's all we've got. Till next week. Till next time. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening, guys. Find us on Instagram and TikTok at Burden of Proof Pod and email us at burdenofproofpod at gmail.com.